this morning as we welcome you in this house and we welcome you to the nations, Lord. We welcome the servants that you have brought to us this morning to bring us your word. How grateful we are for Pastor Steve and Janice and Lord, their years and years of faithful ministry unto you. Their years and years of friendship and co-laboring and partnering with us here in this house. So, Lord, we receive them this morning as dear friends. We receive the word that you've placed within them. Thank you, Lord, that they are living out what they're going to be sharing about today. And Lord, help us as we seek to come out of our boxes and see your kingdom influence increased in all the arenas of society around us, and today in education. We bless them as they bring your word to us. And we bless, Lord, the ministry that they embody, Lord, and those that are in the universities, those that are in the schools today, those that are ministering in so many different ways. In this house, we bless every one of them, educators for your glory, Lord, and the ed being educated, God, for your name and for your sake now. We receive them. Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And if you would join me in welcoming our dear friends, Pastor Steve and Janice Rasmussen, all the way from Nairobi, Kenya, to be with us here today. Good morning. We are glad to be here and glad to have all of you here. And uh, we thought we'd go a little bit out of the box today and do a talk show instead of uh, preaching. So it's a little out of the box from our Nairobi Chapel. Every once in a while we uh, get a little bit of a, this kind of a format. We thought we'd try it here for a change. Um, as you know, we've been having a series about kingdom influence, um, talking about giving ourselves to God. Romans 12 says, give yourselves fully to God. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, which might have something to do with education, um, so that you can do new things, so you can test and approve what God's will is, his per good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, that scripture had a great impact on me when I was a high schooler, and uh, feeling like, you know, if I do what God wants, he'll show me how to be who he wants, and then I'll find out that that's a good, pleasing, and perfect way. Um, so, we're here to talk today, we, so there was a long series we've had here now about what is kingdom influence, what is the kingdom, and um, so we've talked some about that, the kingdom of God is where God reigns, the kingdom of God is where Jesus is the king, the kingdom of God is where justice is done and righteousness is done in our just relationships with God, in just relationships between people especially between peoples, different kinds of peoples, and also with creation and the rest of creation. If you look at that cross, I hope you realize that on the cross, Jesus reconciled and brought justice again, not only up to God, but also across between different peoples and even to the earth. It's all going to be united and under Jesus eventually. So we're talking about the kingdom. Where did God start talking about the kingdom? Well, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. People knew what he was talking about. Because he started talking about it to Abraham in Genesis 12. I will make you a great nation and you will be a blessing. And then to the Israelites, Exodus 19. You will be a kingdom of priests and a nation, a holy nation. Which sounds something like what Peter says about us too, right? 
And then 2 Samuel 7, we actually get a king. David's the king, who Jesus comes to replace. But then that all falls apart. But in the meantime, there's this hope of a new kingdom coming, which Jesus brought, which Jesus is still going to bring. We haven't seen the end of it yet. But this kingdom is not just in the box. We are a house of prayer for all nations. But you know what? The house of prayer for all nations was a temple where first the tabernacle, where the presence of God came, the the fire came and manifested the presence of God was there. And then it came in the temple, Solomon's temple. And Jesus came to the temple and he said, this should be a house of prayer for all nations. But then you know what? In Jerusalem, the, the fire came on all the people. And they all went out from there. And Jerusalem is not the box. The temple is not the box anymore. The people of God, the kingdom of God is everywhere. So our house is your house. And I I hope your house is a house of prayer for all nations. I hope your house has a lot of nations coming through it. Um, I hope your house, you go visit other nations. And the cool thing about God out of the box Missions used to be kind of in the box. It was part of this um, sending people from Europe. We were part of a big migration out of Europe all over the world from about 1500 to 1950, about which time it shifted into reverse. And there's a few of us still going out there, but a lot of you all coming back to Europe and America and other places, and God's in that. There's a lot of missionaries here from Nepal and Bhutan and Burma and Congo and other places. It's exciting to me. Um, And everything, God's doing all kinds of things that are way out of our boxes. And we need to follow him into those boxes or out of of our boxes into those new places where God's at work. So um, today the topic was uh, the kingdom of God out of the box, influencing out of the box. And I won't repeat how that permeates everything, but we are talking about different sectors of society that, that the kingdom can influence. Today we're talking about education. How does the kingdom influence the education sector? Now, some of you are educators. You're teachers or administrators or assistants, um, or you're retired from that. Some of you are students. Some of you are parents of students. But a lot of you are involved somehow in some kind of educational endeavor. Um, some of you are janitors at schools. I mean, you are, there's all kinds of ways we can be involved in the education sector. So um, we're going to talk about that. So the kingdom of God, how do we pattern ourselves as educators? First of all, God's an educator. You notice that? God has been revealing himself from the beginning. Now, he's an out-of-the-box educator. When he wants to educate people, he says, how about if I do some, send a bunch of frogs, and then how about uh, splitting those sea open, and then I'll make you really hungry and really thirsty and see if you trust me. And then how about we design a tabernacle, and you've got to build it, an architectural building um, method of teaching. And then let me take you around in the desert, and let me give you manna, let me do this. God is an out-of-the-box educator. Um, and then when Jesus came, everybody called him Rabbi. Because it said, man, this guy is a teacher like we've never heard before, but a, a teacher that's amazing. Um, and you know what? So God teaches in relationships and experiences and stories and songs and proverbs. He doesn't actually do a three-point outline, um, and we aren't today, so uh, relax. 
Um, and God hasn't quit training or teaching. He's still teaching through the scripture that shows us all those ways God's related to people through the saints all over the world in all kinds of different cultures and through history and through his spirit. And uh, so we are just going to today share some of our lives as educators. And uh, we're going to let these guys rest for a little bit. Um, but they're, they're coming in later to the next generation. So uh, don't get too nervous when they uh, get to enjoy things. But I'm especially wanting to interview this wonderful educator who quit her job as an assistant professor at the University of Minnesota to do something more important. Um, she's been interviewed all over the world on radio stations. And uh, this is our chance today to have her with us. Um, so, Janice Horsager Rasmussen, um, tell me, let's start from the beginning. How did your parents demonstrate to you how to get out of the box as educators? Now, for me, I'm a pastor's kid. We were in the box a lot, three, four times a week. And uh, we were, you know, we were trying to influence our community from the church. But tell me about your parents. How did they uh, do things? Okay, good morning, church. It's great to be here and fun to be um, sharing on this topic that's close to our heart. I think a lot of my experience is kind of, um, I, d I know I respect many of you who've been in the same school or the same profession many years and um, kind of a long obedience in the same direction. Hopefully ours is the same direction, but we've had a kind of variety of experiences and um, here and there in different countries and different educational systems. So I guess that's part of what we're bringing today. So um, going back um, to my growing up, I think was very formative in how I thought about education and in interacting with the educational sector. Um, I think Brian said that he's from the far reaches of Minnesota. Well, I'm from another far reach of Minnesota. I grew up on a farm and a rural community, a little um, K-12 kind of school, everything in the same school. Um, and my parents had both been teachers. Most of the time I was growing up, we were actually farmers and business people. But when I thought about this topic, I thought the beginning of it for me was seeing how my parents interacted with the school and with the, in the community to have a, a, a kind of a voice in the school. And they were just present. They were trying to be available. They um, offered um, to help and support at school, um, just went to parent-teacher conferences, when there were some kind of gaps where they needed someone to come in, my dad was willing, like the PTA was in a bit of a shambles, he offered to go be president of the PTA. Um, when the band boosters were having squabbles about uniforms or something, he said, let me just kind of move this ahead. So he would kind of jump in with some of his leadership skills and, and do what was called upon, what was needed. They were around the school. They, they weren't teaching a lot of the time, like I said, when I was growing up, but they would, my mom would come and visit in the classroom. And um, they would talk to teachers. We knew the teachers in the community. They were just involved in all parts of the community. So they, they had a voice. It wasn't like they were coming in to complain about something as Christians. I think sometimes we kind of think, oh, we have to go in as Christians and jump over this big hurdle. But we haven't been present or had a voice up to that point. So we've, we don't really have a platform and the relationships from which to be heard. Um, my parents were examples of not doing that. They had that platform. And so when there were issues, they could um, speak up. They were involved in politics. So um, even, after, even after we were out of the house, I think a lot of people think, okay, I got my kids through school. Now I'm not going to support any tax um, levies. And, you know, I'm, I'm, we're done with school. Phew, you know. And he, was, he had gone to that school from age of 14. So he, he thought the school building was okay. 
but um, he was for education. So when they wanted to put through a new tax um, levy and build the school, he supported it. He got involved in groups and got active. And so it wasn't just for his own kids. It was for the kids in the community. And there wasn't a real big us and them feeling like um, our, the Christians and the non-Christians. Or It was kind of like, let's be yeast. Let's be salt and light in our community. And they were so involved in the community that my, name, my maiden name is Horsager, which is kind of a weird name in Minnesota or around the world until you get to Norway. And I didn't even know it was a weird name until I got to college. And <laughs> people, your, your name is what? Because people just knew us in the community. You know? So they had a, a voice in the community. And being Christians, they weren't always really blatant evangelists, but they did um, were able to take the Christian values that we're talking about. Like in the bulletin, I had James 3 written in there, 17 through 18, about being peacemakers, bringing the wisdom of God, which is pure and sincere, and just bringing those kind of values they were able to seep in to their community and especially the educational system. So, I mean, they, my, my parents are just kind of, um, my dad's really curious. Just They're just naturally educators, so it just kind of oozes out of them. They love people. Um, even this last summer, my dad, he taught FFA, must have been, he was an ag teacher for a while, so it must have been 50 years ago. He decided to call all his old FFA guys up and bring them in for a family reunion at the farm. <laughs> all these guys came, and he had mentored them, not just in the classroom, but as people, the whole people. And I think that was a, the whole person. That was a great example. Um, also, this I just talked to him um, a couple weeks ago. I had called up to the farm, and he said, um, oh, what are you doing? Oh, we went into this one neighborhood school, they're getting ready for the new school year, and they're giving all the 600 students iPads, and we wanted to know what this was about. And um, So they're taxpayers. They want to know. They go to the meetings when people have information and interact. So um, also the, the next week or a few days later, they were going in. The churches had banded together to do like a burger bash um, for the new school year kickoff. And that was just a good way of building a solid relationship between the churches and the school and the community. So they've just been examples of that through the years. Even non-formal education, we call non-formal education kind of just what you um, teach in the communities and things. We go to family reunions and we have lessons about, you know, the crops on the farm. And my brother does one on iPads and uh, in medical applications or my sister-in-law in flower arranging. So it's just, just a part of him. And so... I think um, whatever we whatever we have, whatever our interests are, we can use those in the educational sector, and we can um, get involved, get engaged. So that's what I when I think of my history, I think they passed on that um, just it being kind of natural to be involved in the schools, to be involved in education, and kind of the feeling that your life is um, you're, you're here to help others, to mentor others, and to help teach them. So that's kind of how I grew up and saw that modeled. So how old are they now? My dad must be about 82, 83, and mom is in her 70s. Okay, so now they're going to woodworking classes and quilting classes and <laughs> I don't know, all the classes they're going to, Christian women's <laughs> dance classes. Okay. Um, and uh, they are teachers as grandparents. So let me let, me let you know, as an educator or as a grandparent, Jim, you never quit. Um, <laughs> For those of you who are grandparenting, you're still key to educating your children. So my own, my own uh, parents, my mom was a teacher in the secondary school, math and home ec teacher, and that was part of her ministry. And sometimes she was a little out of the box. And, okay, this is 60 years ago, but her class was out of, a little out of line, so she prayed about it. God told her to read a chapter of Scripture every 
morning. So she did. She read Proverbs every morning, or I can't remember where. And they settled down, and then when she forgot, they'd say, hey, we didn't read a scripture yet today. So um, as a public school teacher, um, she said, I'll do this until the principal tells me to quit. And uh, anyway, she modeled that, and I think there's a, there's a thing of just living our whole lives in, in that way. At, they are educators. And when, when Rachel is on the tractor, the big tractor, at about 12, maybe 10, um, Jan's like, what's going on? Well, Dad's teaching her how to drive a tractor, and she's figured it out, so um, she's off. Um, they, so we are, we are educators no matter what we do. And the other thing I really appreciate about her parents is they see everything they do as part of ministry. So love your neighbor as yourself. He is committed to raising food for the world. He's a farmer, and that is his ministry. Whatever you do as work, it's not separate from your ministry. Your work, if you're raising food for the world, if you're baking bread for the world, if you're doing whatever, that doesn't mean it's not ministry. What you do is ministry to your neighbor. So um, that's one way we have to think out of the box. Um, so let me turn back to you So from there. You went to Bethel to happen to remember that because I met you when you first arrived. Um, that's also when I started coming to Bethel Christian Fellowship 31 years ago. <clears throat> um, long time ago now. And um, so tell me about a little bit about your life as a student. We'll get more from the students in a bit, but um, yeah. as a student in college. Okay. Um, at Bethel, it was really good for me because I hadn't been in a Christian school and my church hadn't given a lot of discipleship. So it was really good couple of years of integrating faith and learning. I think God used that time and God uses people in Christian schools for, for that, to just help them solidify their faith with their learning, um, be discipled. So um, we're not talking a lot about Christian education today, but that is a place where God equips and I, we believe in it and it's great. Um, from there, I went on to... Integrating faith and learning. You better give the buzzword. Not everybody went to Bethel College. That just means that everything you're learning about has a component of what God is doing, what God is revealing. If it's science, what did God make? What are we discovering? So uh, it was important for me, too, at Bethel to realize that I could study philosophy or history or sociology or whatever, and it was all about God, and I was given that perspective. Yeah, so... Um... Then I transferred to university and um, was there for several years working on education and later did my master's there. But right away, the university staff person found out I was there and I had been at Bethel, so let's get some Bible studies going in the dorms and sororities. So um, I'm an university, do you call them graduates? Do you ever graduate from university? But <laughs> I'm an university person, and that was a big part of my um, life at the university was having that group, being discipled, discipling others, reaching out to my roommates, seeing one of them come to faith, um, just being involved and in getting that Christian community. So I think if you're in a more secular setting, they'll talk about this, I think, but just getting that community around you, getting some mentors and looking for opportunities to disciple others and be discipled yourself. So you went from there to being a University of Minnesota extension educator in five different counties. Tell us about that. How was being an extension educator and how did you bring kingdom influence? There, um, that w I, I was out in some different rural counties and ended up, before we left for Africa, at Ramsey County in St. Paul. Um, I did a few different things, but it was non-formal education. So it was working in kind of like community education. 
the goal of the U of M extension service is the outreach arm where you're trying to take the research out to the communities and make it applicable and in their lives. So I did things like um, newspaper articles each week in the papers out in the rural areas. Um, I looked for ways to expand my influence. Not that I could exactly be blatantly Christian, but I thought let me get out in the community and have a voice. And I realized a lot of people in the rural communities listened to radio a lot. They were traveling a lot around their tractors. So I thought, let me see if I can start a radio program. So I went and started a radio program um, and, and got that every week going for a half hour. And that was a place I couldn't necessarily evangelize, but I was taking up radio space with good things, things that me, I as a Christian with kingdom values was able to bring in. I was talking about a lot of family topics and things. So it was just a way of kind of getting out there in the, in the public space and that made connections in the community that then I could talk with them as privately about their faith and about just how I was living my faith. I think um, when you think about being out on the job as a teacher or any kind of job, um, one of the things that builds you a, a platform or kind of a connection first off is just doing your job well. If you're trying to share your faith, but you, you're kind of slacker and not doing what you're hired to do there, it doesn't really bring a great testimony. So if you look at, like, um, Colossians 3 has a, the, those verses about serving wholeheartedly. It's actually directed at um, slaves and masters, but I think we can use it as employees, employers even. What's the verse? Um, Colossians 3, 22 through 24. Let me just read slaves, and we can say employees. Obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving. So he's calling us to to do our best on our job and serve wholeheartedly, and people around us will see that, and that will give us a a place to start, you know, a respect in the workplace. So that's Colossians 3, 22 to, to 24. Um, so that was one thing in just trying to kind of expand and use, like I said, with the radio program, lose, use the influence I had. Um, I think just the fruits of the Spirit, trying to live out the fruits of the Spirit in your daily life, how you interact with coworkers. Um, in Ramsey County, I was supervising about 12 nutrition educators who were going out into homes and communities. A lot of them were from minority communities or immigrant communities. They had a lot of things they were dealing with just in their lives and the culture. And they came in each month to me. I saw them more often, but we had a real serious meeting each month and shared counsel, listened, just um, time, you know, connecting with them. And sometimes they would even let me pray with them. Um, in that setting if they, they knew I had faith and they'd ask me to pray. And so um, just being able to influence the people around you by those fruits of the Spirit and listening and bringing peace, being reconcilers, I think those were um, some ways of just being there, being, being yeast and salt in that place. Um, also what you taught and how you taught, um, all those things were part of say, what God called me to in that time. I think with other people and your, with your coworkers, um, I struggled some with, like, the coffee coffee breaks, p- what people would talk about and decide, should I be in here listening to this gossip and all this, or should I just stay away? Um, teachers' lounges are kind of notorious for crabbing about the administration or talking about students or other teachers. You know, how, how, you, how do you bring the fruits of the Spirit and salt and light in those places? Sometimes I would go and just to kind of 
be a part of it, just kind of be there and kind of read the paper or pick up on positive things. I know some teachers just decide it's better if I just stay in my room and, um, you know, be available for students or talk with a few teachers. So you have to figure out your setting. But um, I think all those, the ways you handle those things are seen by your coworkers and your students, and you are kind of a testimony in how you, how you live out your faith. If you're joining in on the gossip and the crude jokes and things, um, it's a little harder for people to see how that relates to your faith. So try, you have to kind of make those decisions case by case. But uh, God's put you there for a reason, and, and surely if you build those relationships along the way, like I think a Queen Esther, you know, for a time such as this, you don't know what's coming down the road where he might call you to step into something um, pretty major. And if you've kind of done your, your homework, done your, and just been faithful up till then, and you keep listening to him, you'll be able to step into that next, um, that next assignment that he has for you with his faith and his empowering. Okay, so you loved your job as an extension educator. You were influencing all kinds of, what, about eight different minority and immigrant communities uh, through these NEAs. And you, you loved that, and then you quit. Why did you quit? Yeah, that, why did I quit? I think Justin tipped me over the edge. No, <laughs> Justin, uh, no I had Hannah and then um, you know, another kid, and we were going to be going to Africa in about six months. And I did really hate to leave that job. I loved it. But it was. I realized I did a lot of praying, and it was just too much with kids and um, getting ready to go overseas, and we were doing youth ministry and all this stuff. So um, I, I really I remember one weekend I had when I um, just really prayed with to the Lord and said, Am I holding this right? <laughs> um, Lord, what, what to do? You know, should I do part-time? Should I? What should I do? And I, I got this picture of in the end of my life, what am I going to regret? What am I going to, you know, whatever. And I had this picture of, you know what, if I, if I am not there for my kids and I goof up that, not that I have total control over my kids, but if I don't feel like I did what I could to raise my kids, I feel like God has called me to that, um, that a job won't matter as much. Although I did feel like that my job was a ministry, I felt like for that time I need to lay it down, focus on training up my children. Proverbs talks about training up the ch- our children in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. Just as a as a, um, I don't know if it's really a promise, but it's kind of a principle in the word. So um, I, I thought about Deuteronomy um, five, where it talks about all, or six. Deuteronomy six. Let yeah. me read it. Okay. Listen, O Israel. Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. And you must love Yahweh your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands, wear them on your foreheads, write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. And he, he goes on later to talk about in the future. Your children will ask, what's the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations? Then tell them our story. He, he talks about all of this. So clearly parents, grandparents, the community also are told to be educators for the next generation um, and raise them in the culture of Yahweh, the things that he's taught us to do. So, so yeah, I think that was um, our focus for a while. I'm not saying this is everyone's pattern and what everyone should do, but for us it felt like that was what I need to do for a while when we were getting back over, getting into Tanzania, new culture, Steve was running the Bible school. I focused more on the kids. And he was also really great with that, um, just helping the kids think through issues that came up at school 
um, how did it go today at school? What did you learn? How does that fit with the Bible? Just kind of a, as a general conversation and helping kids critique, you know, what the messages they're getting and how does that fit in with our worldview. And so um, Steve was instrumental with that too. It was a partnership thing. But um, think, yeah, that was a big part of those years. And um, I think there's a lot we could say about that. But I think there's a family and parenting one coming up later too. Yeah. <laughs> so. So how did you handle schooling for the kids? You, we kind of thought we were giving up good schooling when we went off to Africa, um, not knowing what was going to be available, maybe homeschooling. What, what kind of schooling options did you do? How did you handle that? Yeah, we, I thought I'd be homeschooling in Tanzania, and we did for a little bit when the kids were four, but um, Hannah tried a Montessori school for a little bit that we wanted her to learn Swahili and make friends, and then we realized after a few months that wasn't actually, those aims were not being met. So we didn't like to quit, but we did pull her out of preschool at that point. Then we put them in a British system school that was there in um, Tanzania, in Mwanza. It was a good way to, um, they got a decent education and to be involved in the community at a different level than we were out with the Bible school we were running. So um, she could tell you a lot of stories about that. We had to do, it was a lot of kind of bumps and challenges, just learning a new system, even British to American. There are are differences and being in a Tanzanian context with mostly Indian kids who were Muslim and Sikh and Hindu, um, you know, and some other internationals. It was an interesting context, but there just we kind of just went in and tried to learn about the system. I, again, I tried to just be involved where I could and um, offer my help. Um, I found that they didn't really want parents that involved. They wanted the teachers, like around the world, a lot of places. I think. School is seen as being between the teacher and the student. The teacher has all authority. The student obeys. Maybe the parents pay fees. Um, in America, I think so we expect... it's a one-way arrow, teacher, student. Yeah. In America, we expect the parent to be more involved. You have all these folders you have to sign off and come into school and parent-teacher conferences. There's a different expectation. And so from, from this side going there, I had to get over that and figure out... I ended up doing more like offering to teach when they needed someone to help teach or sub or long-term sub, whatever, um, and make friends with the teachers and things. But for immigrant families here, let me just say this as a side comment, um, that that might be something people struggle with. Like um, they expect that the teacher is just handling everything with the kid, especially if you have issues with language and you're scared of going into the school. And there are a whole different cultural pieces to look at. So I think um, just for those immigrant parents to just at least go in and show your face and meet the teacher. That's a good connection. And ask the teacher how you can help your child succeed at home. That kind of step is really helpful. There's all kinds of other things you could do at school, volunteering, whatever. Sometimes people are working. You can't. But at least um, try to meet the teacher and get into the school and do what you can. And maybe some of people who've been around can also um, help people take their hand and help do that somewhat because it's sometimes a big it's a whole different concept for immigrants and from the systems they've been at. And it can be a kind of scary thing when you don't have the language and your kids are just your source of information. So um, that's just kind of a something for that was different for us. We, our school was in English and it wasn't that hard. But um, in this setting, it's, a, it's sometimes tough for people to get involved in school when it's also confusing and overwhelming and you don't have the language. Right. So we, are, we were immigrants, but we had a different kind of immigrant experience than some other immigrants. Mm -hmm. It's all different, all different places. But certainly there's something there about learning the context, learning the situation. And maybe we should say that too, that 
education is about learning. And you're always learning. Whether you're a teacher or a parent, when I was debating about going to do my PhD at telling John Juan's Lima, I would need a special call to go do this. He said, if you're called to be a teacher, you're called to learn. You don't need a special call. Um, and it's true. If we are called to teach, which we all are to some extent, then we are definitely called to learn, be curious, and be finding out. And as teachers, we have a lot of different things we need to learn. We need to learn whatever our subject area is. We certainly need to learn about God if we're going to be bringing God's kingdom to people. We need to learn about people. How do people work? How do kids or special needs or whoever you're working with, how are they? And then we also need to learn how to teach. Um, and I guess that's another thing. Jan, Jan didn't include one of her other students, which was me, um, because we went to Tanzania and I was the principal all of a sudden of a Bible school with uh, 35 students and training them. And how, how was I supposed to do that? Um, well, I had a trained educator to, uh, with a couple degrees in education to help me learn how to teach. Um, I'm still learning. But uh, there's definitely a place for learning that. And I think we, as we've talked about um, different places, let me, let me also help you think out of the box beyond America. Um, for example, in Africa, there's a billion people. And half of those are pretty new Christians. I mean, in, in recent generations, at least. In 2050, there will be 2 billion people. Who's going to train them? Um, Tanzania is 78% 35 and under. Half, 15 and under. And that's a lot of countries. Who's going to train those young people? Um, we here in the U.S. have been so blessed by the investment that the church has made in education. You just have to turn around here and see Concordia, Hamlin, um, Augsburg, McAllister, St. Kate, St. Thomas, um, and that's just within, what, five miles of us. <laughs> um, and there's so much that's happened and so much there. How do we, though, take that and put it in another context? So that was one of the things we were working with at Lake Victoria Christian College. Do we just take a curriculum from elsewhere and plant it there? Or what do we do? When you taught um, marriage and family at Lake Victoria Christian College, was that just like teaching it as an extension educator? No, the big issues that came up there were what about bride price and what about polygamy? And those weren't things I had really thought about before. Luckily, I had an African couple teaching with me. But, yeah, it's a whole different context, whole different issues, and we have to be, um, be relevant in that context. So taking time to look at... Um, what is, what is reality for the learners that you're, who you're working with? And, and we realize we need to adjust the, the curriculum as well because there's different parts of a curriculum. Some of the things are obvious that are being said. Some of the things are things that are implied but not said. And then there's things that we don't talk about um, because it's not in the curriculum. So, for example, we introduced a Christian farming class. And all the pastors who I was training said, Christian farming? Why would we study that at Bible school? I said, well, how many of your people are farmers? They all are. How many of you are farmers? We all are. 80% of Tanzanians are farming. But we never really thought about it theologically. The earth is the Lord's. What does that mean? How do we invest back in the earth and so forth? We had somebody who could do that, who thought it through theologically. So we need to think about when I went to teach health, sickness, um, and who did it is a question I had never thought about. So it, it continued to do that. Where we are now at African International University, 
we have new challenges because we were a theological school and now we're a university. We're teaching business and psychology and bachelors and PhD and how do we do that in a Christian way? How do we really do a kingdom type of teaching? Um, we could talk a lot about that, about the different values, but we need to, we need to move on to our guests, our special guests, who I guess they're here all the time, but... Um, some questions for you guys. Aaron, nice to meet you. I've heard so much about you. Um, so, okay, that's good. How members of your introduce yourself? Okay, <laughs> um, I'm Aaron Schultz. I'm a student. I'm at Callister College now. Um, I guess because this is relevant. Previously, I attended a public school. It sounds a lot like the school you attended. It, it's very small and it's like a K through 12 deal, yeah. And I'm an education major. <laughs> so how members of your church supported you in your education? Yeah, um, I think as you were talking, I was just thinking of how great an example uh, members of my church have been in, um, in putting God's influence into the school. And uh, I had a librarian at the school who was also a member of my church. And he was really nosy about my education and my education goals. And he's probably the reason that I'm here at McAllister now because he um, was constantly making sure that I was looking into colleges and, um, and you know, saying he could help financially and offering all sorts of um, technical help. Um, and he's just one example of the many, many people who are part of my church who got their fingers into everything at the school. Um, the organist at our church made sure that she was at every musical concert mm -hmm. at our school. She didn't have any kids or grandkids at the school, but she just wanted to be part of that. And so um, examples like that, the uh, church was always open for um, school events. Um, it's like a block away from the school because it's a very small town. Um, and every Friday there would be football dinners there and, and um, things like that. So I think uh, overall the, the church had... Um, an unspoken but really firm plan of making sure that everyone was a part of the activities of the school and the community life of the school. And um, through that formed personal relationships with the students. And then we we tend to, I think sometimes in America, have this paraly paralyzing fear of um, combining church and state or letting those interact in any way. But um, once it became about the personal relationships that the people in my church had with the students in the school, there wasn't that, that fear anymore. Right. It was just personal interaction. So how about teaching younger students? You've been teaching some younger students. Yeah. How has that given you a position in their lives? I think um, the best example of this was when I was a senior in high school. I started working as a teacher's aide um, in the junior high band, and at the same time I was coaching a team of future problem solvers. Um, so I was working with probably over half of the junior hires and getting to know them all, working sometimes one-on-one. -on -one. Um, sometimes I was directing the band, so got to teach classes. And um, as I got to know them, I started to form those personal relationships, and they, they started to look up to me because they were junior hires. Um, and uh, at, at a similar time, I started leading the youth group at my church. And so I had um, all of those junior hires that I had this personal relationship with and was able to invite and um, we had probably 10 to 15 new students join our youth group just because they had someone that they knew 
um, and trusted, and they were willing to go along with me on a crazy journey of trying to figure things out just because they already had um, some trust in me as a, as a leader and as a teacher. So okay. that was a really cool experience. Great. Um, let's talk to Hannah then. So there are um, – you can introduce yourself. I'm Hannah Rasmussen. I'm their daughter. <laughs> I go to Mac. Um, so you mentioned fear, and I think that's a, a key thing to talk about. Fear can often prevent us from being kingdom influences places. Fear of shame, fear of what will happen, fear of whatever. And um, Rick Matson, char- I remember 15 years ago challenging us not to be afraid of secular schools. And um, when Hannah was getting ready to go to school, I thought Bethel was a good place. I'd been there. It was a nice place, you know. And she felt called to Mac because of the students she'd met at our church here. Um, so, but I was a little bit afraid about McAllister. Now, now that I'm a parent, of course, I get all the, the data from them. You know, like they said, this is the 25th best liberal arts school in America. This is the number four in service, or, you know, from their heritage, bringing justice. They also mentioned that by dubious distinctions, they are the 10th least number of religious students in America. Um, so there's, it's an interesting place. So how have you done, how have you seen academics as a student lead to kingdom influence? Well, um, I think it's interesting to mention fear because um, there's this one class I took, which um, there was a really good prof um, who was leaving, so it was the last chance to take it, and it was in my major, but I was really scared to take it. Um, it was called Sociology of Sexuality, um, and I just knew that it would it would be very different from what I was used to. Um, but I it was kind of the only chance to do it, so so I, I took it as a growing opportunity. Um, and it was difficult. I think I felt very different. Like I had a very different worldview and um, experience than a lot of people in the class. Um, there was a lot of new information, and a lot, I had a lot of questions. Um, so I didn't talk a whole lot in the beginning because I just wanted to learn from what people were telling me. Um, and then I would go and talk to other people outside of the class, like Aaron. <laughs> She had a lot of me coming to her and being like, what's with this? I don't understand. Um, and and try to be like, so what do you think about this? Like, how does this line up with Christian worldview? Um, and um, I would go in and talk to the professor and be like, I don't think I can talk in this class. Like, my, my perspective is going to be perceived as really judgmental or whatever. Um, and she was really encouraging. And I talked to some of my classmates and gradually... Um, at the end of the semester was able to present my final project, um, which was a youth group, youth group curriculum um, for churches on, on how to talk about gender and sexuality. Um, and I think because I, it was something very stretching and challenging for me, um, but God led me to do it, then God continued to open doors after that. Um, and um, started talking about it with people here at church and um, uh, people in my extended family. And um, then I emailed it to a professor at Messiah College who I'd been in touch with. And um, dad had her email because it was a fellow anthro prof or whatever who went to Bethel and and um, she said, oh, um, you know, I'm going to be writing this article for Youth Ministry Magazine. Um, 
you want to co-author it? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so, um, and then someone like a couple weeks ago came up to me and said, hey, like, can I talk to you about, about how you um, think about um, gender and sexuality in your faith? And I was like, why do you want to talk to me? And she was just like, well, I don't know. You just seem like you, you're involved in faith stuff here. She had no idea that I had been dealing with this for six months um, before that. Um, so I think that God just brings you opportunities. Um, some Another professor um, from the Japanese department said, hey, um, I know you're part of um, Matt Christian Fellowship. Do you guys want to show this DVD on human trafficking? Um, another um, person emailed us and was like, hey, we have this curriculum about it um, and how social justice um, and, and human trafficking work together. Do you want to want to use it? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so there's a, there's a small group about that now led by another one of our um, members. So I just think that um, that stepping out and taking those risks um, can can lead to God bringing a lot of opportunities. Okay, great. And I also like what you said about doing the research so that the person you emailed that Messiah was writing a book. She, she's done the research on it. You had done the research so you can speak. And I think we need to keep learning. You, what have you learned as a student? You want to say anything else about that? Yeah, I guess I guess just taking risks and being involved where your campus is at, um, and then being yourself, like not being afraid to, if your faith is part of who you are, then just say that. I mean, don't block that part of yourself off from the friends you have who maybe aren't Christian or whatever. Not that you have to be in your face about it, but um, just integrate it into your whole life. Um, I think I've seen some really good examples other Mac students um, have done. I'm just going to call them out on it. Um, <laughs> um, Sia and I um, are both RAs this year. It's like we felt like we want to be involved where where the campus is at, and Res Life is really um, a great place to do that. Um, I know Isela and Anna Kay um, and others are really involved in cultural organizations and have made some really great changes there. Um, other people are involved in community service or sports teams. Um, and I just, I just think that's, that's kind of what we're called to do is, like, be involved in your, what you are interested in and, like Mom was saying, the community. And, and then that's where you can be a light. Do you have any comment for the parents as a student? Well, they can be well, influences. I think you guys talked about some of it already. But okay. you guys are, like, the first teachers of your kids. So your example is, is what um, is the biggest teaching. Um, yeah, and when mom was a substitute teacher, it's kind of awkward because I <laughs> she got involved in our school so much that she was my science teacher for a few months, and she I didn't know whether to call her mom or mum because I was British or like Mrs. Rasmussen. It was, it was, I was just like, hey, can you help me? Um, but but getting involved, I think, in your kids' education, or yeah, like dad would always ask us. So we're watching this movie. How does it compare to a Christian worldview? <laughs> um, uh, and just discussing and helping with, you know, the projects that kids are working on or always integrating things. And also pushing your kids to try new things um, and learn about new things and be curious, um, but in an encouraging way, you know. Um, so I think, I think that's great. Okay, so let's try to wrap up quickly. Be engaged where you can, where you are. What's your near edge? Maybe you're a parent, 
you've got people you can be engaged with. Maybe you're a, a student. Maybe you're wherever, wherever that is. Be engaged. Be there. Be present. Get out of the box. And remember that you are God's influence there. You are the kingdom of God. And look for where Jesus is at, what Jesus is doing already, where you're at. No fear. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates have never attacked anyone. The gates are waiting for us to bust them down. And um, we are there to bring justice and the kingdom of God and the two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Everybody will notice that. And love your neighbor as yourself, whatever you're doing. Now, can I have the people stand? First of all, I want people who are in education. If you are a teacher, an administrator, a janitor, you're in the education system, somehow please stand up. Okay. Now, can I have the students stand up? Whatever, if you're taking a class, any place. All right. How about parents of students? Now I'm going to have Janice pray for you. You want to pray for them? Sure. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the encouragement and the challenge that we receive from you and your spirit working in our hearts. Lord, thank you for each one who is here and what you've called them to do uh, in a regular daily basis out in the world. And I thank you for the opportunities that you've laid before them. Thank you for their obedience and wanting to follow you and do what you've called them to do. I just pray that deep down in their heart they would know that they would have your peace, that they're in the right place and that you're with them, that they don't need to be afraid of anything you might call them to do, of stepping up into a new level. Lord, just um, give them courage. Give them not a spirit of timidity, but of courage and love and self-discipline and willingness to go. We know that you're able, and we just pray that you would do that. You would equip each one in the ways you want them and be preparing them even for the next thing. Thank you for all the opportunities. Lord, help us to see them, to take them, not for our own um, benefits, but, Lord, for your kingdom. May we be the light and the salt and the yeast out in the world. We trust you that you are are there. You are already there with us, and so there's already the kingdom there. But, Lord, help us in working that out and showing it to people. We just um, pray for your, your um, work in each one of us. And for if we're not, give us willing hearts. Take our willing hearts, make us more willing. And we just pray that um, we would be kingdom influencers in the sectors of education in our own uh, spheres that you've given us. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you're able, that you're a big God, and none of this scares you or um, puts you off or overwhelms you. We know that you're big enough, and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank them for bringing the word here to us this morning? And would you all please stand together as we conclude our service here this morning? Um, we, ah, we have a set of keys that were found in the ladies' room. Um, one of them looks like a car key, so with a fob. Uh, you're going to want those before you leave, probably. So would you find Liz? Liz will be up in the sound sound booth back here these are your keys or by the front door she'll be there and um, 
I just want to remind you, if you could everybody just focus for one moment as we close here. Just remind you, if you are a student today or a young adult, um, we welcome you at our house today. Uh, if you are a guest, a visitor, you've not yet been to our home, uh, we've got lots of food prepared and we're ready to receive you. We'll be heading over there shortly. My wife will be heading out in just a moment. Uh, we're close to the church, so if you need directions, let me know. Or if you need a ride, I can take students and we'll get you back uh, to campus, wherever it is. And um, then tonight, 6 o'clock, please join us. Uh, more delegates are here. We'll be arriving. We'll be uh, starting our with our, our opening service for the uh, leadership conference this week. You're welcome to come at the conference. Help out, serve any way you can. If you are a host family, uh, see Pastor Justin. He'll he'll get you connected or Cherry Manj uh, about that and uh, make those connections. Come tonight. Join us for a light meal after the service. Um, yeah. So lots of wonderful things. Can I say a shout out to our Pastor Ben? Uh, did you notice the parking lot when you came in? Uh, yeah. Uh, this guy is like three, four days straight here. He didn't even get home. We had Burp Boys one night. He never got home. He stayed here. He was here from 8.30 in the morning till 6 at night. Did the Burp Boys. Slept overnight. Went yesterday. Went to the picnic. Came back. Striped. That's your pastor over here. Pastor Ben. All right? So, thank you, Pastor Ben. And there was other folks that had a small hand in that, uh, including other pastors and students and others. So thanks to all of you who helped with that. Thank you again to all of you who are hosting families. You know, this is part of being a part of this house. We just do stuff together, right? Thank you for the picnic yesterday, Ida, and all those who helped, Cherry Manch. We had a fabulous time. Wasn't that a great picnic yesterday? It was so fun. Thank you, band, James, and Bill Lent doing sound. And I mean, you know, stuff just... I, I'm always amazed. It seems like it just magically happens. Well, it's not magic. It's hard work and people giving of their time and effort and energy. And I don't want to forget any folks, but just thank you to all of you, all your children's workers. Tell them thank you. Thanks to the educators. Thank you for being out there in the front lines. I, with hands open, receive the benediction. I pray now that you might be filled to overflowing with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours. Sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of His favor and goodness over your life. Until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I bless you, people of God, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Share God's love with one another.